of an anchor that keeps the soul. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. There's a lot that we can learn from history. And yet, sadly, many times we fail to learn from history. Hard to believe. It would seem to me that we ought to look back at the mistakes that people make and learn from them. The things that people do that are, that are right, we ought to learn from that and employ those things in our own lives. In Jeremiah chapter 7, the prophet in the long ago indicted God's people. And the reason was, he said, they were disobedient. They were really a nation in reverse. Hard to believe because God had done so much for them. It was God that had brought them out of bondage many, many years earlier. They had been slaves in Egypt, and God had delivered them. And God had seen to it that they had those things that were necessary. He had blessed them in so many ways, and yet time and again, they turned their back on him. And so in chapter 7, Jeremiah is talking to God's people. And the bottom line is they were about to go into captivity. And the reason was because they had disobeyed God. They had turned a deaf ear to him. And so he said, in short, that they had gone backward and not forward. I want us to begin today by examining the text. And then it's my intent for us to make some application to what we see in our nation today. Let me begin by discussing for a moment or two Israel's relationship to God. If you go back and you look at the history of ancient Israel, you'll see that the commencement of the covenant that had been given unto them is recorded in Exodus chapter 19. God had, in the long ago, said to Moses, his leader and his lawgiver, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. He said, now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be a special treasure unto me above all people. He went on to say, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto me. God had relayed this covenant to his servant Moses, who in turn was to tell the children of Israel what God expected from them. Their reply is noted in Exodus chapter 19 at verse 8. After rehearsing the terms of this covenant, Israel said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You need to understand that there were, there were conditions attached to this covenant. God would bless them on the condition that they obeyed him. You see in verse 19 of Exodus chapter, or the book of Exodus, 
God had said, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, therein lies the condition. God wanted to bless his people. And really God was saying in the long ago, if you will keep my will, do what I say, I'll bless you. Later he would say, if you fail to do my will, I will curse you. Pick up with me in Exodus chapter, or rather Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 21. Listen if you would to what the prophet said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. Jeremiah is not saying that God was not concerned about their burnt offerings and sacrifices. Those sacrifices were important, particularly in relationship to their standing before Almighty God. But what God was saying is this, if you think you can come and give me your sacrifices and your burnt offerings and live an unrepentant life, you're sadly mistaken. And so in verse 22, he would say, I didn't speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. He said, but this is what I commanded them, saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. God here wanted to enjoy a relationship with his people. He wanted to bless them. But note if you would, their rebellion. Beginning in verse 24, Jeremiah is very graphic in discussing the way in which Israel treated their God. And I want to just pause here and say this. Sometimes we ask the question, what was the problem? When we ask the question, what was the problem with Israel? It was a problem of the heart. And we'll see that in a moment. In verse 24, first of all, Jeremiah talks about their disobedience. He said, yet they did not obey me. Here were people that were disobedient to Almighty God. In verse 26, he said, again, yet they did not obey me. Two times in two verses, God speaks to their disobedience. And then he said they were deaf in the sense that they failed to listen to what he had to say. He said, yet they did not obey me or incline their ear. In verse 26, again, the same thing. They did not incline their ear. It wasn't that God didn't want them to listen to him. It's simply they chose not to listen to what he had to say. Over in chapter 6, at verse 17, Jeremiah said, I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. That was their attitude. And then they were defiant. Note, if you would, what is said as we look further at verse 24. They walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart. We talked about the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem was the heart. That's really the bottom line. Over in chapter 4, verse 22. Jeremiah would say, these people are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. They resisted, as we say, God's word, and we'll say more about that in a moment. And then he said, they were digressive. 
They went backward and not forward. What a sad commentary on a nation of people. A nation that had been so blessed. God had done so much for them. And yet, for whatever reason, when we talk about their heart, and there were probably a number of reasons, they went backward. And then I want you to consider also the fact that they were disrespectful. Listen to what Jeremiah said, verse 25. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. And then he said they did worse than their fathers. Paul said on one occasion, evil men grow worse and worse. Here were some people that had been blessed immeasurably. God was saying, look, I thought enough of you to send my servants, the prophets, to tell you the error of your ways, to encourage you to do what's right. And what did you do? You ignored them. You chose not to listen to them. Back in chapter 2, Jeremiah would ask the question on behalf of God, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? That they have gone far from me. He said, I brought you into a good land to eat the fruit thereof. But he said, you've defiled my land and made it an abomination. God had been so good to these people and yet they had disrespected him. And then I think about their resistance to God. Listen to what Jeremiah says in verses 27 and 28. Therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Somewhat incredible to me that God could say to these people, You're not going to listen to me. You're not going to obey me. And the reason is because he knew their heart. God knew the heart of the children of Israel. When God said truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. That's quite a statement. I mean, when you go back and you think about God had given them the law. They had been entrusted with the oracles of God according to Exodus chapter 19. Romans chapter 3, they knew what God had said. They knew about his blessings and his cursings. And yet they did not want the truth. They did not want to listen to the truth. And so Jeremiah's going to tell these people, you're headed for captivity. In chapter 6, verse 16, here's what God said. Stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But I want you to listen to what they said. We will not walk in it. That's a reflection of their heart. They were simply saying, look, we're not interested. We're not interested in doing what you say. We're going to do what we want to do. 
We're going to walk in the imagination and counsel of our own heart. Somewhat reminiscent of those people that lived during the days of the judges. In which God said, in those days there was no king in Israel. And he said, every man did what was right in his own eyes. So, herein lies the state of ancient Israel. What happened to them? They went into captivity. For 70 years, God would later bring them out of Egyptian, or rather of Babylonian captivity. Cyrus, the king of Persia, would encourage them to return to their homeland and begin rebuilding the temple. God needed a nation to bring the Messiah into the world. That nation was the southern kingdom, Judah. Yes, they went into captivity, and yes, God brought them out of captivity. And later they would serve their purpose. And ultimately, in A.D. 70, the Jewish nation, nation the temple, sacked and destroyed once and for all. So what about the application? Is it possible for us to learn from Israel? The answer to that question at least in my mind, is yes. And the question that I want to pose this morning as we think about our nation, America, we are not a theocracy as Israel of old was, but we are a nation. We have been in existence for a little over 200 years. It seems to me that we have gotten off track as a nation. Sometimes I ask the question, how was it that we as a nation of people got off track. I want to begin by saying this. In my mind, we like Israel of old are a nation in reverse. I understand that we made a lot of progress in our nation. I mean, if you were to go back and look at our forefathers, the primitive conditions in which they lived, all of us would agree that we have made tremendous advancements in life. I'm thankful that we don't have to ride by horseback or we don't have to travel in a buggy or carriage in weather like this. I'm thankful that we have indoor plumbing, electricity, and other modern conveniences. I'm grateful for the medical technology that we have at our disposal today, the many means of communicating to one another. Unbelievable the progress we've made. I don't think any one of us would say that in many respects, we are a nation that has, has gone forward. The flip side, however, is that in other ways, rather than going forward, it seems to me that we've gone backwards. I want to just cite for you some things that I believe have contributed to us as a nation getting off track. I want to begin by saying that we have removed God as the foundation and cornerstone of the home. We're all familiar with the statement, as the home goes, so goes the nation. Our nation is reeling today because the home is in trouble. I mean, we have to be honest and candid about that. Look at the number of homes that are being destroyed by outside forces. Let me just say this. If we think problems in the home are only occurring 
outside the church, we are fooling ourselves. We have in the church, I'm talking about the church universally, any number of homes that are coming apart at the seams. Now, there might be a lot of reasons as to why that's the case, but it seems to me that we have husbands and wives that for whatever reason are just not committed to one another. You see, God said in the long ago that what he joined together, man is not to put asunder. The husband and wife have the responsibility of making sure that that marital relationship remains intact come what may. There is a gluing or cementing process that ought to occur within the context of marriage. That's why Jesus said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And so, for husbands and wives to take their responsibilities in the home, to take those responsibilities seriously. And then I think about rearing children in today's world. Let's just be honest. It's a tough world. And there are devious forces at work to destroy the minds of our young people. Some of the very schools that we, that we send our children to are intent on destroying their faith in Almighty God. So it says, we've got our work cut out for us. Paul said that as a parent, we are to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's my responsibility. As a husband, I am to be the spiritual leader of my home. Far too many husbands and fathers have abdicated their role as the spiritual leader. Wouldn't it be great if every husband and father could echo the words of Joshua when he said, As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Note the emphasis on serving the Lord. Who's going to serve the Lord? Our family. We have the responsibility of setting the right example, of setting the tone in the home. We ought to be the first to Bible class and to worship. We ought to be the first in terms of involvement in the work of the church. If our children are going to be what they ought to be, they have to see us living it day in and day out. They have to see that Christ is our life. Let me just also add this this thought. We talk about removing God as the foundation and cornerstone of the home. Efforts have been underway for some time now to redefine relationships within the home. And by that I mean we are a nation of people that in many respects is giving its blessings to same-sex marriages. That's a problem. It was a problem in the days of Lot. You remember Lot? Do you remember Abraham and what God did to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Peter said in the long ago that they serve as an example to those who will live ungodly. Don't think God's going to turn a blind eye to what's going on in this country. If we think God's going to give us a pass, we better think again. Let me give you a second problem that I think has emerged in, in our country. We've removed God from the public sector. 
God has been banished. Been banished from the White House, the courthouse, the schoolhouse. Look around. If you were to if you were to just isolate public enemy number one, what would you say that enemy is? When I was growing up, I remember the fear of Russia. Many of us were afraid of what Russia might do to us as a nation of people. We're not afraid of Russia anymore. Maybe maybe we we looked at them as public enemy number one. Let me tell you what, public enemy number one today is the Christian. It's the church. The Christian and the church are under attack. It seems to me that in our nation today, Allah, the God of Muhammad, is given greater respect than the God of heaven. Let that sink in for a minute. We can talk about Allah and we can talk about any number of other pagan gods. And that's okay. But if I stand up and talk about my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and my faith as God the creator, then I'm in trouble. I don't know if you saw the report not long ago. There is a university in the northeast whose president recently chided one of the coaches. And you know why? Because he spoke of faith in the Lord. Called him on the carpet. We ought to decide in our country. Do we want God in our country or out of our country? We're a nation in reverse. You talk about a nation that is messed up from top to bottom. We have more problems than we can say grace over. As a child of God, read the book of Revelation. Note the intense persecution that swept the church. Domitian was on the throne. God was out. The conditions that we're living in today suggest to me that God is out. We're not interested in God as a nation of people. Let me just share with you a third thing very quickly. We have removed the word of God from our private and public lives. Think about this. We don't want God in the White House. We don't want God in in Congress or Senate. We surely don't want him in, in our courthouses. And oh, by the way, we don't want him in our schools either. I mean, that's just the facts. Why is that happening? Let me tell you why it's happening. God is being banished from our public lives because we as a nation of people have banished him from our private lives. You understand what I'm saying? Individually speaking, the truths that are recorded in God's word have not become a part of us to the point that we're trying to live it out day by day in our lives. If every mama and daddy all across this country, I don't care if they're black or white, rich or poor, if every mama and daddy read this book, believed this book, obeyed this book, the very idea of political leaders trying to remove God from the public would be struck down immediately. There'd be an outcry. There would be a backlash. Why? Because we as a nation of people, individually speaking, would say this is not going to pass. 
The reason they can remove it from the public sector is because it's been removed from the, from the private sector for a long time now. Remember what Hosea said in Hosea chapter 4? He said, the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of Israel. He said, there's no truth, no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. He said, there is lying and stealing and killing and committing murder, committing adultery. He said, with bloodshed after bloodshed, they break all restraint. Did you know that just north of us, the city of Memphis, did you know that we talk about the top ten most violent cities to live in in the U.S.? Memphis is number four. Do you really think that what's going on in Memphis is not going to make its way into DeSoto County? Let me tell you what, it's already here. The police chief in Memphis talked about the homicides. He said that the majority of the homicides that are committed in the city of Memphis are committed by young people under the age of 25. You know what that says to me? Mamas and daddies are not doing their job. Now we talk about removing God from the public sector. The reason that we don't have a problem with it is because he has been removed from the private sector. We don't have enough godly mamas and daddies sitting down and saying, you know what? You can't go out and take another life. And the reason is because God says it's wrong. You can't live a life of immorality because God says it's wrong. You can't steal from other people. You can't engage in heinous crimes. And the reason is because God says it's not acceptable. Sadly, a lot of these kids are being reared in families where the mamas and the daddies are absent. They're not a part of their lives. Very quickly, we have removed the will of God from our lives. As a result of that, we have robbed ourselves peace, joy, and happiness, and contentment. You ever thought about the drug problem that we have in our country? I wonder why people can't be happy in their lives. You will never be happy with a bottle of alcohol. You'll never be happy using pot or cocaine or meth, any other stimulant. It's not going to bring you happiness. It's not going to bring you joy. It's not going to bring you your peace. I'll tell you what it will bring you. It'll bring you heartache. It'll bring you sorrow. It'll bring you trouble. It'll cost you your job. It'll cost you your family. It'll cost you your life. You don't believe me? Just look around. We've got people in our world today, in our nation today, that are so messed up. And they're messed up because... They have decided they know better. Don't need God. Don't need his word. Don't need him publicly. Don't need him privately. So in closing, I ask this question. How do we get back on track? Is it possible for us as a nation of people to get back on track? The answer is yes. Here's the remedy. God. Turn back to God. Listen again to what Jeremiah said. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I want you to hear me very carefully, please. God's ways have been tried, they have been tested, and they have been proven. 
proven to be the best ways. It's up to us to decide the course we'll take in this life. Our nation, I don't know what the future holds. I do know who holds the future. But I know this. We can make a difference. And we ought to make a difference. And the only way that we can make a difference is by taking the Word of God and living it out each and every day. Trying to be what God would have us to be. And then trying to influence others to live for Him. We're a nation in reverse. I hope and pray we can right the ship. The only way that we can right the ship is to decide as a nation of people that we want one person at the helm of the ship and that one person is the Lord. He's not at the helm today, but he wants to be. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that he is the Son of God. Repenting of every sin, confessing his name before others, being buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. The reason you need to do that is because when you do it, God will forgive you, Acts 2.38. He'll put you in his church, Acts 2.47. The church he promised to save, Ephesians 5.23. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.